Welcome to the Engage podcast from BlackBot, the podcast for people dedicated to purpose-driven work. From nonprofit fundraising and finance to grant making, education, and corporate social responsibility, we're talking with sector experts and thought leaders about the best practices and latest trends that will help you grow your impact. Today's episode features an excerpt of BlackBot webinar, Learning and Unlearning to be Next Level, featuring Satanya Fair, President and CEO of Peak Grantmaking. You'll find a link to the webinar in the show notes. So welcome everyone to today's presentation. Uh, my name is Ray Borkman. I am a marketing manager on the grantmaking team here at BlackBot. Uh, and I'll be introducing and uh, asking questions in our discussion today. Uh, I am a white person who identifies as male. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm about 45 years old. It's pretty generous. Uh, I have a bald head, a uh, speckled gray beard, more gray than speckle. I'm wearing a white polo shirt, and you can see my loft office with the exposed brick and an air handler in the background. So... I am going to go ahead and pass the ball over uh, to our presenter today, because uh, I know, Satoni, you'd like to provide an introduction and a description of yourself, so I'll pass the mic and the image and let you get started. Hey, Satonia. Hello. How are you? So good to Very be well. here with you today, Ray. <laughs> I am, and hello to all of our participants. I'm Satanya Fair. I'm the president and CEO of Peak Grantmaking, which is a national philanthropy strengthening and supporting organization that's based out of D.C. Um, I'm originally from Akron, Ohio, but I make my home in Baltimore on Piscataway land. I am a black woman. I am 53, exactly. And <laughs> I identify as female. Um, I, am, I have short brown hair. I'm sitting in my home office which has been my place of existence since March 13th of 2020. And uh, I've got gray walls, lots of artwork behind me, courtesy of uh, Peak and my brother, thank gosh, and some great artists out of Frederick, Maryland. And so I am really, really super excited um, to be with you today. And really, I'm glad and blessed that, to be able to work remotely and that it's a beautiful day here in Baltimore. So thank you, Ray. Share with us all a little bit about peak grant making and your journey to now. Yeah, thank you so much. I we have been working with Black Hawk for many years, so peak grant making is is honored to be a partner and friend of Black Bod. But um, as I think back, um, Peak has been on a road for many many years, a road of effective and now equitable grant-making practices. So as an organization, we think about our work as being transformational around practices. And so uh, some of your view, uh, some of the participants here are probably familiar with PEAK. We've been around for 27 years now, which is a little hard to believe, and even that I'm in my fourth year. But we know that grants management folks who really represent the kind of center of our organizational universe, along with finance, operations, IT, uh, anyone who's really helping on that flow and administration of dollars. Title agnostic, we know that these folks play such a critical role within 
funding landscapes, whether you're a traditional family philanthropy or a private foundation or a corporate foundation. And so the adaptation and utilization of philanthropy technology and tools has really always been part of what Peak has been doing. And so we find ourselves here at this moment um, because we're really interested in folks moving to the next level. We've been challenging ourselves on how do we help more than 600 foundations find their way toward better practices and more equitable practices. So at this point, um, we're really excited because we are starting to see some traction in this space. So a little bit about Peak is like a staff that's growing, a membership that's growing, and we cover just about every type of funding entity that is probably known. And so super excited to introduce any newcomers to Peak grant making, and definitely we'll share a link to our website uh, on the other side so you can learn some more. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's been attending your conference the last several years, you can see the growth, right? You can see that happening and it's really exciting. And then, you know, the conversations being centered around some of those things that you mentioned, uh, you know, that thematically sort of threads its way through uh, everything that y'all do. All right. So let's get into the weeds. Um, I was initially caught by this title specifically that you talk about learning and then unlearning, which I think is very grabbing. I know Peak is an organization working steadfastly to, to sort of be an emergent learning organization. Before we shift to the next level component, though, what, what have you learned and what are you trying to unlearn? So that's a process. I will just say that the, the learning and unlearning, um, Peak has been uh, on an internal learning journey for some time. And this includes our staff and our board um, and thinking about what is possible, where have we kind of gone thus far, and where should we be trying to move as we go forward? And so when we talk about learning and unlearning, the one thing is, I think if you put yourself in a growth mindset, something that my team and I talk a lot about is like, where's our head? It's not where our skills are, our competencies. Sometimes it's where your head is, because your head really, really allows you to be able um, to think about new ways of working and new ways of um, both taking in information, but also applying it writ large across your work. One of the things that I think is important to note is that we found that as we began to think about where's Peak's best impact for this sector, a lot of the things that we felt like over time we had picked up and gotten very good at we're no longer necessarily serving us to go to the next level. For instance, we have been a heads down organization. I'm sure many people on the line understand what it is to be roll good and heads down, roll good and heads down. But when you're like that as a day-to-day to get through not only your checklist, but all the important things that you have to do, time for innovation and that blue sky thinking is rare. And so one of the things that we had to figure out was One, how do we make space for that, right? That's not about adding more things. Sometimes it's about clearing some of the things out. And in the introduction for this webinar, we talked about like garbage in, garbage out. Like we have a lot of things in our internal like tool book, you know, uh, tool shed. Not all of those tools though are still shiny and new. Some of them are rusty. Some of them do not help us at all anymore. And so I do think it's been really interesting to ask ourselves about collaboration. That has been a huge topic for us, both internally and externally. How are we 
helping people solve their conundrums. Are we going to give people answers here or are we going to use our principles, which ask people a series of questions so they're getting to know themselves and the way they work better, right? As opposed to us coming in and saying, do one, two, three, four. Now you're equitable, you're finished, keep going. And so I think one of the biggest things that we've learned is that learning is a journey. Just like we talk about when you're um, building any new muscle, if you take up yoga tomorrow, you're not going to be expert the next day. A lot of it is really thinking about innovation, making space for different ways of collaborating and bringing in new knowledge. I think the other thing is all the tools. We have learned to do a lot of things without some of the best tools. Peak is a nonprofit. We are not a foundation and we haven't always had the funding or financial support to bring in some of the internal tools and technologies and platforms that we needed. And so a lot of our learning is around technology, believe it or not, for Peak. We have introduced new technology into the way we've worked. And that's so important because our audience, this is their strength. And so for us, we've also had to think about, are we showing up as internal stakeholders with the same equal or better technical information? And so collaboration, using using tools and technology, and just making space for more innovative ways of thinking has made us, it's forced this unlearning. And I'll give you like a, a non-technical. I have been a person who's worked for corporations and big foundations. And there's been very little, I'll just say like daily wiggle room for error. There has definitely been this kind of, you make a mistake, you're out. Like there are certain things that there's no wiggle room on. And I know that over years of working for corporate, I became very regimented and I became very kind of strict in my own mindset around how we could do things. And I, as a, as a person who shows up at work now, I think I have a lot more space for people figuring things out differently than I do and coming to their own solutions. But definitely I've learned to make space for us to all arrive at the end goal together. And it not just to be on uh, like my way or on my timeline. And so I have definitely had to lean back, especially as our team has gone from 10 to 20 and now even larger, there's so many different voices coming to the table. And I had to learn to definitely make space for that. So my learning and unlearning are sometimes um, moving through at the same space and time together, because in order for me to pick up these new skills, I've definitely had to let some things go that I don't think serve many of us uh, very well, which is just looking at everything very transactionally. How do I get through this thing? That's it. And that's really not how we transform ourselves, our organizations or philanthropy with that um, with that perspective. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Like there's sort of an analogous situation that we deal with in the in the, you know, here, I just, as I was listening to that, I was thinking about it and like, one of the things that's changed in like software, um, SaaS software over the last few years is that it used to be like your goal was to identify the decision maker, right? Because that was the important person in the relationship. Um, but when we arrive at implementation, and this is not unique to Blackboard, this is across the software spectrum we would find that we would run into these roadblocks and obstacles. And the reason why is because even if an organization had done a good job of bringing all the primary stakeholders into the conversation and the decision, there are secondary and peripheral uh, stakeholders who are impacted 
buy a, a change in software, right? And if there wasn't buy-in at that point, that's actually where when we got into the implementation stage. So as a, as a company, not just BlackRock, but many other organizations have started to really push the decision makers at the organizations that we're working with during the evaluation stage to say, please bring in all of, and think about the stakeholders you're not thinking about because they're going to have to interact with the solution. They're going to have to buy in. They're going to have to be part of implementation. So it's really changed the way we approach the whole evaluation process. And, and it's something that we kind of have to teach people how to do because we evaluate software every day, but they may only do it once every five or 10 years, right? So that's it's very interesting. Yeah, and then like for every nonprofit and for every foundation, uh, foundations talk about who is your population served, right? Your ultimate population served. For nonprofits, we have that population served as well, but we think about who is our customer, who is your client. But you also then have to have to ask yourself who's your secondary, who's your tertiary. So key stakeholders so important. But I would think the other thing that we found was interesting. You'll hear. If you're inside of Peak's like room as we're working, you'll hear the term experience much more often than we probably ever use that terminology because we actually realized that so much of our work was external facing. We weren't thinking about how internal staff experienced the technology. We weren't thinking mm -hmm. about it at all, nor were we designing for it. But when you really mm -hmm. think about a grants management system or an association management system or a knowledge management system, your staff are using it a heck of a lot more than the grantee is. And so that has been really a shift for us is to say, oh, my gosh, have we been jumping over our first internal stakeholder sometime trying to think about how the hundreds, if not thousands of people who will interact with our system? I think that it's great to put that audience central, but I don't think it can happen. Uh, I don't think you can use technology well if you're not thinking about design and implementation also with this internal user component in mind. And I, I mean, Pete just did not talk about experience in that terminology, mm -hmm. the way we talk about it now, but I think using it allows us to go from the internal to that tertiary customer and stakeholder in a very different way. Interesting, excellent. Now, uh, uh, what I had intended, what I wanted to do is pause here for a second and, and jump to any questions that we might have in the chat. But what I realized I didn't do is prior to that last question, I meant to encourage people to go into the Q&A there and put in a question, and I did not. So I'm going to do that now. And then I have, in the meantime, uh, thought of a, a question I wanted to ask you additionally. So that'll buy us some time for folks to put something in the chat there before we move on. So one of the things I wanted to know was, you know, what is some of the pushback that you hear from grant makers about learning and unlearning when you, when you talk to them about this idea? Yeah. And, and what I'll say is like the pushback is just the pushback there. It's like, I think it's more about that equitable and inclusive practice array than it is about the learning and unlearning. But very specifically, we do have funders and our members who are asking us, like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean? Like, what is required? And I think one of the biggest components of pushback is organizations really devoting time. And when it comes to to the yoga, if you take it up, right? If you take up Qigong or whatever, if you want to try to input and embed more equitable and inclusive practices, you have to bend time. You have to bend the laws of time. 
And it takes time for you to get to both learning as well as shedding or unlearning. Um, time is the biggest pushback. I and mean, we have, mm-hmm. and it, I think is the reason why so many people come and just say, tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We got we got to figure out what do you do? How do you operate now? The same question that BlackBot asked new clients, right? Tell me how you work. Show me your workflows. When do you make? You mentioned the decision maker. When do you make decisions? By listening to that and us encouraging through our uh, principles for peak grant making, when you look at any one of those, there's a series of questions you have to ask yourself. When you take the time to say, hey, does the practice that we're currently using to do amendments when we have them, is it a burdensome process? Does it take forever? Is it triggered by, does it take three different approvals? Those are the types of things that are happening. And I think the time that we have to take, we also talked about when you have a a new system coming online, so many folks don't want to spend the year to clean their data. I mean, I'm sure that you could probably speak for days on this topic. It's like, look, you all, before we go to the new thing, what workflows stay, what ways of working stay, what new things do you want to do? But also, is the data that we're going to import, you've been doing work up until now for peak 27 years, is the data we're about to import good data? Is that the thing? So I think the biggest pushback is always like people trying to conceptualize the time they properly need to set aside in very busy days to think about both learning and unlearning and being an emergent learner. But you also can't get to thinking about burden and listening to community voice without time, too. Once you invite people in the room, they want to sit down. When you ask them how they're doing, they're going to have a response. And you need to listen and be responsive to those things. And so I think time has been like the biggest obstacle and hurdle that many people have identified of just trying to be a learning organization. Time, but also how do you do it as a collective? If everyone at your organization, whether you have three staff or whether you have 200, is off on their learning journey separately, how do you bring that all back together? I think that's the piece is that if you don't have some collective learning or that space and time for people to do at least some of that knowledge gathering and sense making, I see Angela's question down there and she is my sense making guru. And so before we get to her question, but you can't even get to that sense making unless you bring everyone's individual learning back together, because then that's mm-hmm. when you say, oh, wait a minute. Here's where the synergies are. Here's where we off and we went off and we got different ways of thinking about things. We learned some new things. But when we came back together, we actually have some alignment on the path forward. And so, again, it's really thinking about using and bending time, uh, a secret power that when anyone on the line figures out, <laughs> please send me the formula. And the other piece is bringing your learning back together in a way that's, that it will allow you to have a collective path forward. Otherwise, it's just a whole bunch of people going in different directions, which I think is problematic. So those are two pieces that I think that a lot of organizations, whether it's a technology uh, a shift that they're making or whether it's just general like staffing, you're just going, you have new strategies. I think sometimes that's, uh, those are two of the biggest obstacles. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. I, uh, <laughs> nerd alert here. Uh, we need a, you need, so from the time bending, we need a TARDIS, right? You got to be a Doctor Who fan to get that joke, oh. but. <sighs> yes, I love um, all the sci-fi, all of it. Bring it. Looks like we have two good well, questions I re- here. I remember your, uh, your, uh, 
Star Trek reference. Yes. Do you want me to read out Angela's question for you or do you want to grab it? I'll grab it. So hello, Angela, my friend. Thank you for your appreciation of our ship from this more uh, corporate mindset. The question is, what have you learned about holding space and encouraging staff and members to show up in their full lived experience, mind, body, spirit? Um, So Peak has been on its own internal learning journey around racial healing, racial equity, equity, and disability inclusion and justice. And in doing that, it has really, one, we decided to do those things together. And so we are, for our equity, believe it or not, 10 months, four hours each, each session, we said that it was part of the work, right? Instead of saying it's something over here, we really had to kind of incorporate and make sure that we were we were all in agreement that our learning would be together. And so one of the things that for us has really been each staff member before we've gone into this, there's a level of kind of brave space building, how we as individuals are getting to know each other. Brave space building is from Community Build Ventures, and they have been a lead for our equity, racial equity and racial healing journey. And Part of the way they operate is that people are actually put together in quiet space, two to four, you know, these kind of dyads to quads, and we start to talk to each other. And as I get to know, let's say Ray and I are in this together, as I get to know Ray better, and this requires a lot of active listening and a lot of time in, I am understanding who he is how he operates, what makes him tick. And I think that that level of getting to know your staff member better as individuals has really made a big difference for us. But part of our learning is that bringing your authentic self, part of the learning that I took away from a lot of what we've done over the last year plus was that there's there's not always safety in bringing your full self. You know, we're still at a point of inflection as a sector and as a society where not everyone can say, hey, I'm coming into philanthropy, but I grew up really poor. And so working in such excessive wealth as a regular um, is something I'm still struggling with. That is not always something that people feel like they can say everywhere. But one of the things that we just try to do is get to know each other better, to spend that time with each other in different ways And I think that unto itself allows people to kind of show up authentically who they are. But also when you get to know someone in that partnership, you can push them up when it seems like they're starting to become less transparent about their full selves. They have a partner now who can really say, hey, Ray, what's going on? Are you okay? Like, what can I do to support you to really kind of show up in the space differently. So that is just something, it's just a, again, with time and the TARDIS and all, you know, all of that, so important, but um, it's really about just getting to know your staff, but also recognizing that safety, um, safety must be cultivated in, inside the workplace, uh, just cultivated. It must be something people care about. It must be some people, something people elevate. And then after you get to that, I think once Ray and I know each other well, like we're, we're stuck with each other, right? And we're good partners from here. But that's part of the biggest thing that folks uh, folks struggle with. But that's what we're doing here is getting to know each other and then also just um, trying to make space 
for people to be who they are. So Tony, I want to say thank you so much for doing this again this year. And I really appreciate it. It's always, you know, I can't say it's my favorite uh, one of the year because, you know, there's other other people who I know I don't want to get in trouble with, but um, really, thank you so much. So Tonya, do you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you so much again. I hope you guys are encouraged to uh, go to your next level. Uh, definitely reach out to Peak Grant Making. Reach out to me if you have any questions. Uh, we are fortunate to share a lot of the same clients, customers, and friends. And so um, looking forward to seeing hopefully everybody, including you, Ray, at Peak 2024 in Seattle next year. But I'm always here. This is the thing I love is really helping our folks really uh, move to their next level and really support the work deeply. So please do reach out to me if you have any questions and if there's any way that Pete can be of service to your organization. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone.